Hi everyone, we're back. I think this is episode 10. Do you, Natalie? Is that right? Is it? Yeah, it's um, kind of a landmark for us. Am I wrong? It feels like we've, been do- we've done more than 10 episodes, actually, but that's good. Yeah. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Um, if yeah. you haven't been before, we are Feminist Fiction. Um, we're two girls who live in Manchester. I started a book group about a year, over a year ago now, maybe, mm. yeah, coming up for a year and a half. Um, and we got bigger and bigger, and so we decided to make it into a podcast as well. Um, we also have book clubs in Liverpool, um, Belfast, London, and now we have two in different cities in Germany as well, hosted mm-hmm. by the lovely Vivian, who's been <laughs> with us for a long time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's us. And this is a podcast all about TV, films, and books, not just the books that we discuss in the in-person clubs. Um, just because we love talking about <laughs> general <laughs> culture, I guess. <laughs> yeah, our last one, if you didn't listen, was on tw- was a deep dive on Twilight, which was <laughs> yeah. like actually yeah, so enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> that was. But this my one is going to be one. more literary for sure. Like <laughs> I think we did a real one eighty because yeah. I guess we felt quite silly doing. Two yeah. hours on Twilight. <laughs> we like to see lightness and darkness. <laughs> Heaviness and lightness is maybe a better way of putting it. 100% it's all here. Um, so yeah, the way we normally start the podcast is just by taking some questions from the listeners. Um, mm. So the first one I thought was a really, really good question that I liked and I received this morning was one that said, what's the best and what's the worst piece of advice you've ever mm. received? Natalie, do you want to go first? I mean, I couldn't think of anything specifically, but what came to mind was like when I've wanted to quit things and people have told me not to quit them. I would say that's the worst advice that I've had, like jobs and relationships. When I've been like, I think I want to stop doing this and other people Mm. have sort of convinced me that I should stay in the job or in the relationship. Like it's always... It's, I've always ended up leaving. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Ultimately, when I've, I, it's like, I think often, you know, especially with jobs, like, I'm, mm-hmm. like I can't really think of a time when, because I think relationships may be a bit more difficult in that you have like ups and downs and you can kind of work those things out. But with jobs, yeah. I feel like I've really just been like, I can't think of a time when I've, when I have quit, even if it's been a bit risky and I've been worried about it and it's not ultimately been the right decision to do that mm-hmm. so uh yeah I, I think that would be my bad advice from other people you know yeah <laughs> how about you I, I actually think that's interesting because it really links to mine because the best tr- advice I've ever received is uh from my therapist who said that like I am actually a grown woman <laughs> like in the words of Beyonce <laughs> I'm mm. a grown woman and I can do whatever I want yeah that and is good so, advice. and it, it really links to what you're saying I think ultimately I am now at the point where I don't really take anyone's advice um, or mm. I'm trying, I'm actively trying not to, just just trying to trust my own intuition and my gut and yeah, yeah, to do whatever I personally want. But I think it is hard actually to really listen to that voice because mm-hmm. people will always come at you with their ideas on what your life should look like. Um, yeah. And I'd say on the flip side, like the worst advice I ever received is from a boss who told me that I should be, uh, that I should endeavor to be less blunt and forthright with my opinions, which, you know, at the Mm. time I kind of 
really did try to do that. I tried to like um, make myself smaller to fit in with his idea of, of how someone should operate in the workplace. And the more I thought about it and the more time has passed, the more I've realised this is just such a gendered yeah. idea. Um, not ju- not only gendered, but also like j- just n- not correct. <laughs> I yeah. think that in obviously we have to look after other people's feelings. Um, but I think when you need something to be done, it's appropriate to ask someone, please, Mm -hmm. can you do something? You know, I don't think that I'm rude. Um, but I do think that if I was a man, uh, perhaps I wouldn't be told that I'm, Mm. I'm blunt and direct. I would just be a good and like it wouldn't even be picked up on probably right you know I mean? yeah. yeah I don't know it's something I really it's really struggle with because... or something, just because you're yeah, a woman I think so I, th- I think it was a real really difficult thing to hear though because I think we're socialized to believe as women that we ought to be really kind and to make mm. people feel comfortable around us and to realize that that wasn't what I was doing that mm. i don't always create that like nurturing environment and that I am quite um masculine in some ways um was difficult to hear but now I'm hoping that I'm owning it a bit more and Mm. proud of it I guess (laughs) yeah that's that is really shit (laughs) (laughs) to hear especially I guess like if I had that from like a boss especially if it was in a job that I didn't really want to be in I think that would be like you know it was rough yeah well do you, have you ever had any good advice I think yours was like the bad but I think probably similar I've also gone through therapy and had quite good advice from her I think probably yeah. like I used to have this thing where I really felt like um again this relates to work but like maybe I'd be in working situations or just situations in life that I personally found very difficult but I felt like other people found them easy and I couldn't Mm. understand why I personally was struggling so much with it and I'd very much sort of turn in on myself and be like what's wrong with me I don't why can't I deal with this situation and I remember her saying to me like I was like you know everyone else does it and I I was really like hung up on that Mm. And she was very much like, well, it just doesn't matter. Like, the point is that you you can't or you struggle with it. And, like, yeah. that's fine. It's okay to, like, mm. not be comfortable and to want to make your life comfortable for yourself, you know, in whatever mm-hmm. way that is. Like, you don't need to feel... I think I just felt really bad about that. I just assumed that I I should be able to do things that other people do. And I guess it's just that thing of, like, good for them, not for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, absolutely. it's totally there's no point in like um getting hung up on the fact that things work for other people and don't work for you like the point is that it doesn't work for you and just just accepting that you know I also yeah I also think like I I often think really people don't actually cope as well as you think they're coping like behind closed doors they are struggling too probably it's just that people present this outward um success all the time which is at the detriment of all of our mental yeah. health really yeah and exactly like it's not like I was showing that really in my in work so chances mm. are other people were thinking the same thing about me do you know what I mean it's like absolutely you know. yeah so true um so the second question that we got is uh just to recommend some things that are similar to Dairy Girls someone wrote in mm. to say 
uh, that that was their favorite show. Um, mm. So I love that question too. Um, I couldn't really think of anything funny like Derry mm. Girls, but I, I guess mine... So books, um, wasn't it? They wanted as well, like book Books or, t- or TV said oh, okay. either, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I thought of Catelyn Moran's books, like How to Be a Woman and How to Be a Girl. And actually there was a TV show made of, I think, one of, maybe it's How to Be a Girl, but called Raised yeah, by Wolves. Yeah, with Beanie Felstead, right? Yeah, there's, that's the film of How to okay. Be a Girl, which is really good as well. But I think that's got quite a um, Dairy Girls vibe and she's really funny uh, and it's about teenage girls. So I think that's a good one like, I also did struggle and I was like there should be more stuff like I guess yeah you know, think, like there's not enough such, stuff that's like that yeah such a good show um and yeah like I say I, I couldn't think of anything as funny as that so my recommendation mm. isn't really funny in that way but I thought I guess part of the reason that Derry Girls are so good is because it gives you such a good sense of place um you really feel like you're there and that you know everything about yeah. that that little world that little part of the world so in the same way, um, a very long time ago, I read Kay Tempest's book, The Bricks That Built the Houses, um, which I don't <laughs> see being like flagged up on Bookstagram mm. very often, um, I guess because it was written a while ago. But that's a, a really, really great book. And it's all yeah. about young people in London. And I guess I read it when I was living in London and it really reflected my experience of like what it was actually like to be there, um, yeah. which I think is rare because you often get these like really blown up ideal versions of city life um and actually this was like a really balanced view of like what just what it's like to be a young person in the city and it had lots of different viewpoints and you really got to know the characters in the way that you really get to know the characters in Derry Girls so I'd recommend that um yeah cool that sounds great so yeah we're gonna launch into a topic which we've been kind of like I we've kind of put on the back burner a lot like every it's kind of been our topic that we thought one day we'll do this one day we'll do this Mm. and because it's I think it's because it's so big yeah and there's no clear-cut like structure to it and probably (laughs) we're gonna say a whole load of things and want to say a load more like I don't think we could yeah, add I don't a... think we're going to cover everything. No. Like, it's probably like one of those episodes where we need to put the disclaimer at the top that we're not going to cover every angle of this yeah. and we don't know everything about it. <laughs> like, yeah. Just like set that out at the top. But I think it's just so important that we do talk about mothering and motherhood because yeah. we are like a feminist um, club, obviously. And I think central to like an experience of, of being a woman in this world is the question Mm. of like whether to be a a mother or not and Mm. what it means to be a mother. Um, And so from the outset, I guess we should say like neither of us are mothers, so we don't know a whole lot about it, but we do know about the struggles of trying to decide and and the struggles of, of not having chosen to have kids at the moment, I guess. So yeah, here we go. Yeah, I think it's like... um like I mean we said maybe we could start by like talking about our own positions on it because yeah um I'm like I'm 29 and I am getting to that stage where people around me are starting to have babies or at least trying to or thinking about it and I have some friends who are 100% like I want to be a mum ready to do it Mm -hmm. and you know I have like fam like my 
my cousin, for example, has like had two children. She's like just a few years older than me. Um, but it's such a weird one for me because like right now I'm like, I don't think I could be less broody. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't want children. Like there's Mm -hmm. nothing about it that appeals to me. Mm -hmm. Like I'm really broody for dogs. Like I really want a dog, but I'm not broody (laughs) for babies. You're definitely going to have your dog one day. That's coming. I'm like, that will be my baby. Yeah. Um, but it's such a weird, uh, thing because like I had this conversation with my mum about it where she was very much like yeah really what I really felt the same like I really didn't want children I I had no desire to do it and -hmm. then it was like one day she woke up almost and just suddenly really wanted to have babies Mm -hmm. like this Mm -hmm. like hormonal urge Mm -hmm. thing and it's so strange then because it's like feels like this thing that's almost taken out of your control like it's like I'm like well I think I know how I feel about it but am I just gonna randomly feel different suddenly yeah at one point you know I wonder whether I feel like it's the problem is it's hard to be definite about it because it's one of those choices in life which changes everything about your life forever you know it's it's really it's I think it's the most difficult choice that either of us will ever make because of that um and I've seen it happening because you know I'm slightly older so I'm 33 and a lot of the friends that I've got are now with uh small babies (laughs) all of a sudden Mm -hmm. which has been like quite a massive adjustment um for me even Mm -hmm. obviously especially for them because their whole world has been turned upside down I mean the way they're living their lives is different it's obviously completely different to the way it was before Um, But I think what's been interesting for me to see in their experiences of like young motherhood is that they're so obsessed with their babies. Um, And and that thing that you're talking about, um, this, yeah, the broodiness and the absolute devotion to to that small baby, um, I I am struggling to comprehend. And I think it is very hormonal and I think that, well, I, I've seen that in my friends who've had them, there's this sudden rush of like absolute devotion, which I am not quite yeah. understanding. You know, I'm still thinking it's so annoying yeah. that you've got to give up yeah. so much for this tiny little thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm similar. It's like, I don't feel that. And I've seen, like I have this friend who wants to have a baby and like her and her partner are going to try and have a okay. baby. And... I met up with her a while ago and like we went out with her friends and one of her friends brought their baby along yeah and it was I could see that she was like the pull do you know what I mean and she was like please yeah. can I hold it and like she and again like the only way that I can relate is how I feel about dogs and that I'm like if someone has a dog I'm like I want to pick it up <laughs> <laughs> so I can I can understand I guess in that respect but it's like I just don't feel that at all and I wonder if I will like I don't do I mean it's like because if I don't mm. then I don't think I'll have children because that really does seem like if you're gonna do it you've got to really want to do it like you say it's this mm. huge life-changing thing and also like I think it's worth mentioning that like it is you know you can have miscarriages like it yeah. can be pregnancy can be not straightforward and not work out and there are so many women who you know have tried many times to have children or had multiple miscarriages and like or been mm. unable to 
So it very much feels to me like if it is something I'm going to do, I really need to really want to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and have yeah. that des- like really strong desire. But I feel like before I started the feminist fiction group, um, I it was during lockdown and a few friends and I, before I even met Natalie, started this kind of do we want to be mothers book club, mm. <laughs> which sounds super bizarre, but I think it was kind of led by one of my best friends who was really weighing it up and wanted to like bring kind of like an intellectual uh, side to it mm. to kind of really analyse what would be the pros and what would be the cons. So we started reading all these books around motherhood, um, which yeah. I'll, I'll dive into a few of them in this episode. Um, but what I began to realise, I mean, we read book after book after book. I've got so many on my shelves now about that theme. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't get to an answer. Every time mm. we met, we were asking each other that, you know, like, does this book make you uh, want to become a mother more or less? Or, And mm. I, I'm not sure. I think I'm at the stage where I just don't have an answer to that question. And I think that's okay. You know, I yeah. think if that's something that came about in my life, fine. But I also think... I am now becoming a lot more secure with the idea of a life without kids because I think that's probably the direction that my life is just naturally heading in. You know, I don't have a partner. I don't have enough money to be able to have a a baby by myself. So I think for me, it's been less about a choice and more about like the gradual turning of time, I guess, really. And just like the inevitability of what the course that your life's taking and, and just being okay with that. Like I think putting pressure on myself to choose didn't really achieve much of anything. I mean, I read some some amazing books through it, but I don't know if it's as simple as that. Even if you do have a partner, you know, is it as simple as, do I really want a baby or not? Or is there just more to it? Like you say, like you, ca- yeah. you can't necessarily have one if you have a miscarriage or maybe somebody's like sperm or the egg is not... Mm. Um, functioning in the way that it ought to, you've got IVF, there's all sorts of issues surrounding it. And I think, I think our society puts such a huge uh, stamp on this massive question, uh, you know, yeah. and the idea of being a mother. And so people who can't, who are trying, who can't, must feel a lot of grief because of that. And it's, I think we should just yeah. all accept each other as we are. You know? And I think like, you know, for like womb owning people, it's such <laughs> a bigger question than it is for men because, like, you know, you, there's this time pressure on it, right? It's mm. harder to have children the older you get. So it's like feels like this thing where you have to make a decision. And like, I've literally had like mm. people I know say that to me, do you know what I mean? Where they're like, well, you have to decide, or it always annoys yeah. me a bit. Yeah. But it's like because of that time pressure, and it's like, you know, compared to, like, like, me and my partner have talked about it, and for him, he doesn't have that pressure, like, Mm. you know, to be honest, he could still be in his 50s and, like, have a kid with someone, you know, and it's, like, yeah, it's, I hate that element of it, like, really. Yeah, I hate it, but I, I also, I think I'm now at the point where I kind of, I kind of like it, because I went through a real thing when I turned 30, where I was really, really stressed about this, which I think led me to do that club and everything. You know, I really yeah. felt like now's the time. I'm running out of eggs, <laughs> blah, blah, yeah. blah. Whereas now, you know, I'm actually, this is a bit of an overshare, but that's what we do on this podcast. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm finding that my my cycles are changing a bit. Um, 
Yeah. And so I'm, I'm starting to consciously feel as though my body is preparing itself to wind down a bit. And that has really made me feel like, okay, you know, yeah. maybe this is it now. Maybe it's okay. It's just, yeah. well, that's and I not guess the end like, of the world, you know? Again, this has its limitations, but it's not like um, giving birth to a child is the only way to be a mother. Obviously, you can adopt. True. Like, but again, I think even that's like, it requires so much money, actually, adoption, mm. like having a lot of money. But also that like, you can sort of have an element of being a mother without actually being a mother. Like, I mm. think there is that of like, you know, like, um, like in my partner's family, he's got an auntie who doesn't have children, but she's very connected with them. And she has mm. a really good relationship with her nieces and nephews. And it's like, there are ways of having children in your life that's not being a mum, you know? Yeah, of course, yeah. I think for me, I've had so many children in my life, in my line of work, that I'm kind of done. (laughs) I'm sick of them. (laughs) I mean, God love them. You know, they make me laugh. They really, they're really amazing to be around every day. I shouldn't moan. But Mm. do I want to go home with one? Absolutely not. Mm. (laughs) You know, I'm really leaning away from the idea. And I guess let's dive into some of our examples. Mm. So I read this book, um, which I think is, this is a weird place to start because it's like the worst version of what Mm. motherhood would be. But basically Mm. Rachel Cusk, who is a real favourite in the book community, she wrote a book called A Life's Work, which is... um, from her own perspective, nonfiction. Mm. And every page is about the misery of being a mother. Um, And now, you know, I'm not saying that every mother feels that, but Mm. she really gets across how difficult that is. And I know that I have no experience of mothering myself, but I really empathize with a lot of the things that she was talking about because I know what it's like to be around kids all the time. You know, I know how much of your brain power is is on that constantly like you know just the other day I was texting Natalie about how I'd had a difficult day at work and I just felt that there was no part of my brain that had space for me and for um, my thoughts even or or looking after myself even nothing like that you know and I think being a mother is that times a thousand you know your Mm. your eyes are constantly on the child what's the child's needs Mm. and that is just physically very draining and also quite uh difficult to balance in terms of you are a person you're not just a vehicle for love and affection and milk you know you're an individual person and that loss of self through Mm. being a mother I think is is explored really well in that book and it's something that really frightens me about motherhood I guess Mm. yeah like I have a friend who's a mother and is really funny about being a mother I find that like she's a really good uh, mum a single mum and has had like I guess the super difficult experience of having um she had a kid and her partner left and then he is now a teenager and then she had another kid so she's dealing with mm-hmm. a teenager and a toddler at the same time wow. as a single mum <laughs> like no partner to support her and um yeah the combination of those two things in one go but also just the way she talks about her kids always makes me laugh and that I'll be like how, like how's it going and she'll just be like I won't say that no so she'll just be like yeah he's just being such a dick <laughs> <laughs> like, she talks about them like they're like full grown adults you know like including like her toddler 
<laughs> and um, has said this thing to me where she was saying with children that she just feels like they're small. They are just small people, and some of them are some of them are good, and some of them are not. Good. So true. <laughs> that is like, so like, true. Give them, you know. She's like, obviously, I understand why. Like, we have to give them a lot of like space because they're young and they're learning things. Mm. But she's like, some of them are just assholes. Like, <laughs> they just come out like that. <laughs> That's so true. I think that's the reality that I've seen in terms of in every class that I've ever had, you know, you really only get a handful of kids that you'd you'd happily have as your own kid. I think the the large majority (laughs) are very difficult. Just like adults, there's a lot of very difficult adults around too, you know? And I I mean, it's like, I can see like, you know, often when I see her, we'll go to her house and like, I can see that she's like desperate to have like adult conversations. Do you Mm, know what I mean? mm. And, um, and is so happy to have like an evening carved out that's not about childcare. And I guess like, you know, um, it's hard because it's like, I think, and she would say she's like, loves her children, you know, and like doesn't regret it. Um, but that side of it is really difficult I think you know because like you and I don't have that at all like I've talked about this with my partner Ross like Mm. we never have to talk to children (laughs) we literally (laughs) never I mean you have it I guess in your work actually don't you but like I literally never talk to children like I never Mm -hmm. see children like it's so rare it's only through my friends having kids that I'm starting to actually have children really in my life you know yeah I think like one of the things that um came up in the books that I read I think this is from um Maggie Nelson the Argonauts which I I'd really recommend that book it's amazing study of um a family and again it's just kind of her thoughts the author's kind of meditations on what it means to be mother and also it's about her trans partner and their experience mm. of that as part of the family unit um but one of the things that she talks about in that is um that she saw this interview with Joni Mitchell where she said um, that she decided not to go and do that um, really um, the traditional way of life with the partner that had written the song with her, like I'll light the fire and mm. you place the flowers in the vase. You know, it's mm. by Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young. And um, I think that song is really like this idyllic version of what life is going to be and then she kind of breaks that apart and she's talking about how the reality of a family life a traditional life is not that you put the you light the fire and that everything is beautiful again and and still and peaceful like actually that's what we have as Mm. single people or people who just live with their partners we have like she talks about the idea of time and of a weekend as a period of time and then Mm. she says like let me just find it um if if you are actually part of a family unit and you have children what the outside world refers to as the weekend is a round trip into the ninth circle of hell for parents (laughs) like i just think you know we really have a lot of time don't we we really have a Mm. lot of we're lucky to be so free to do whatever we want to do and that's for me is what's taken away a bit with kids yeah yeah definitely and also like I always think about the fact that it's like you know if anything was to happen to your kid like that's like the worst Mm. thing really that can happen to like a human being Mm. you know Mm. and I know that sounds a bit like like morbid and 
of but there's just so, like it's such a that's what I mean about like you have to really I think you should really want to do it do you know what I mean like you have to have that mm. because there's there's so many <laughs> so many downsides <laughs> maybe that's just with the bias that I'm coming from but like what you're talking about of like losing freedom but also yeah that if something happened to your child it could be so terrible but then even from the perspective of like one thing that occurred to me as an example to talk about is we need to talk about Kevin I don't know if you've read that book or seen the film no but I'd love to yeah tell yeah. us more which is about a mother whose son basically kills like loads of people in mm. a school shooting and is essentially a psychopath like you you see that play out like from when he's a little kid to an adult and how it's from the perspective of the mother in terms of like trying to deal with that like loving Mm -hmm. her kid and dealing with the fact that he's sort evil essentially and like murderous and I'm like what (laughs) imagine that situation (laughs) you're like you want to have a you want to have a kid and they and like you know he destroys her life as well like not just other people's around her um all of those things are so scary to me but then I'm like again Mm. I'm like maybe one day I'll just wake up and want a kid so much that none of those things don't matter anymore I think I don't I don't say I disagree but I do see it in a slightly different way I, I don't know if you do need to be absolutely sure that you want kids and I think it's okay and I think we should admit more as a society that I, I feel, I, I'm not a mother, but I am guessing that most mothers have moments of of regretting their decision and of mm. wishing they had a weekend to themselves and wishing they were, you know, as much as they love their kids and as much as that's a core part of their experience of life now and they would never give that up. I think it's okay that we admit that like, really something is lost in becoming a mother and yeah. we sh- we should allow women to grieve what's lost you know and yeah. to, I think we really hold up the idea of the mother as this like angelic being that never feels any bad feelings towards their children like that's part of part of it and I think that really needs to be like thrown thrown away you know I really mm. don't think I think we I should be doing agree that. with you I mean and maybe it's more like that the desire is strong, you know, because I think that can sort of coexist with mm. having reservations about all of these things and whether you should do it. And True. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's because I think, you know, like I've read and listened to things like um, that are about really wanting a child and like what... Mm-hmm. Like, one of the examples that I wanted to talk about was Blue Ticket by Sophie McIntosh, which is a novel, like a dystopian novel, about cool. a world in which um, teenage girls are given a ticket, a blue ticket or a white ticket. I think it's when they hit they hit puberty, they're given this ticket. Mm. And if they get a white ticket, it means that they'll become a mother or they're sort of allowed to become a mother. Well, it's actually that they have to. If they get a white ticket, they have to become a mother. They get so a blue ticket. So it's like they don't, they don't make the choice themselves. Yeah, so the choice is taken away from them. And it's quite, like, that in itself is quite an interesting exploration of, like, that what happens if the decision is taken away from you and you always know mm. that it's going to be, you're going to be a mother or you're not going to be a mother. But then mm-hmm. the story follows a woman who's, like, a blue ticket woman um, getting pregnant 
Okay. And deciding to keep the baby and essentially has to kind of go on the run. And ah. because she's not allowed. It sounds so good. I think it's like, it is good, but it's like, it doesn't to- I feel like it doesn't totally work for me as a book because it's never that... I feel like when dystopian novels don't explain why things are like the way they mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. it doesn't really work. Like, and she doesn't really explain why this has come into being, you know, mm-hmm. like we mentioned, like, we're not going to talk about it, but in comparison, I think like The Handmaid's Tale, you really get the history of why the world has become like this. True. And you don't yes, get really. that in mm. this book. And I, uh, that annoyed me a bit. I was like, well, but why though? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, but it is, it's yeah it's it's following a woman who really desperately wants to have this baby mm-hmm. and you know it's like a survival tale of her kind of finding other women other blue ticket women who are doing the same thing and mm-hmm. but i think what i did find interesting about it was how there are these like areas in the book where the blue ticket women live and they're these areas where the white ticket women live and they're like really different the blue ticket women it's all like drinking and partying and like Ah, living this kind of single life and like nightclubs and like yeah (laughs) casual sex and stuff wow and then the white ticket world is all like like white picket fences and like you know yeah yeah shops with little baby things and like I think that is I guess probably intended to be a comment on like how we view these women with children and women without children mm, do you know what mm-hmm. I mean of like yeah um like you said angelic mother like family nice kind of wholesome and then like yeah. if you don't have children you're like not you're like this crazy party girl kind of vibe, <laughs> yeah. you know? like not even just party girl but I think there is something in our culture that tells us that like a woman who does not have children and especially a woman who's chosen actively not to have children is somehow suspicious and a bit of a witch, you know? Yeah. Like witchy vibes. Yeah, and I, I do think there's still, I think this is changing, but there's still a bit of an assumption that, like, it's not their choice. I Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, yes, if you've decided not to have children, it's like people are a bit like, did you decide, though? Like, could you just not mm. find a, a partner? Uh, like, or could you not get pregnant or whatever? Like, do you really not want to have children? Like, there yeah. is sometimes this assumption that, like, you must want to right as a woman like it's some inherently Mm -hmm. female thing to want to have a baby yeah absolutely and I think it's something that we are trained to believe is part of what makes a woman attractive is if they can you know really um look after home you know like I Mm. see so often on when I'm swiping on these super depressing dating sites Mm. uh people who really want and are open about wanting somebody who will cook for them who you know yeah. feels soft and loving and kind yeah. um well that's what I'm getting implied from their yeah. more crude and <laughs> quite sexist wow. comments um and I just think um there's another quote I've pulled out of the Argonauts which honestly is like one of the best books I've ever read have you read it okay. no I might have no, to lend it to it. you yeah. um where she says there's something innately threatening about a woman who's not occupied with children what is she going to do instead what sort of trouble will she make? And like, mm. I kind of love now, like being that that woman. <laughs> like, I just think, mm. why don't we just own that and kind of, yeah, go with it? Like, um, I really, really love. If you don't know this about me already, I'm really super into Florence and the Machine, especially mm. recently because her new album like covers a lot of these themes. And there's mm. um, in the first song on that album, even if you can't bother to listen to the whole thing, it's called King, and she just really 
eviscerates that idea of a woman having to be so nurturing and like mm. all about children and it's saying you know she's arguing in the kitchen with her partner about whether she wants to have children or not um and she's eventually she's bellowing out that she's a king she's not just like an oven mm. basically mm. she says it in a much more poetic way than I just said it but um I think it's interesting that she says king like which is a male thing right as if yeah. she's like you have to decide to be male in order to not have that pressure or, I know it is interesting you know, but uh, yeah, but the, the the line is like, I am no mother, I am no bride, I am king. Mm. And I think, I agree with you, but I think what she's trying to get at is we don't seem to have much, like, power. There is There is no equivalent to king for women. Like, a queen mm. is always somebody who would still have to have the kids and um, mm. be the bride and walk down the aisle in white and be virginal. You know, like... Mm. I just think she's really trying to shatter it. And you're so right that it's Mm. only with a male word that she's able to do that, which is kind of depressing. But I guess what she's really getting at as well throughout the album is um, that her art is really important to her and that the partner that she perhaps had at the time couldn't understand that that was more central to who she was than mothering and I think something for me that really bothers me is that men perhaps I mean this is just an angle I don't completely believe this but there's definitely a part of my brain that kind of thinks men don't have to lose as much Mm. you know even in the physical act of being a mother Mm. you have to be consistently available to give milk to that child Mm. and I think when men dream of being fathers that you know, there can't perhaps be as much lost in that idea as there is gained, if you get what I mean. Yeah, definitely. I think if you're um, having your own baby, like the physical demand of being pregnant, breastfeeding, things like that, you know, it's like, there's just this thing where it is going to be more taxing on a woman. Like, even like yesterday, me and my partner walked past this couple who she, she was pregnant she was mm-hmm. with her male partner and like Ross was saying how he was just like oh like it's always sort of not like funny but to watch and that you just he could see with this man that the man was like really trying to support her as much as possible and that she was just like exhausted <laughs> and like sick and just like pissed off and he was like because you know because it's never gonna be as hard for him it's never gonna be as yeah. hard for him and this man's obviously doing whatever he can but it's like it's just yeah, it's just interesting, I suppose, isn't it, to watch. Right, like, like... even just the physical... Yeah, like you say, physical act of giving birth, that changes your physical makeup forever, mm. you know. Wow. Yeah, and it can be so traumatic. <laughs> Scary. Yeah. Like, actually, um, about almost a year, Yeah, about a year ago now, I wrote this article which was about um, whether the climate crisis was impacting people's decision about having to have children oh and I like I interviewed women at different ages so I interviewed someone who's like 18 I interviewed some my I interviewed my best friend who's like Mm -hmm. my age um I spoke to I spoke to my mum who's had children as older and then I spoke to like a colleague of mine who's had uh is in her late 30s and she's had one baby Mm -hmm. and also I spoke to my brother's wife who's like they haven't had children Mm -hmm. and 
um it was really interesting because I think I thought it would be impacting the younger person more than it was um mm. and that she kind she actually wasn't that influenced by it and she didn't think it was something that people should be taking into account when, when they think about having children but and and generally it seemed like people were like my mum who is quite like a climate activist kind of person was like oh it would really influence my decision now but then there's an element to which it's like well she's never really had to make the decision so it's easier for her to say something like that because she hadn't that wasn't on her radar and like the colleague who I spoke to who'd had one child she talked about how she didn't want to have any more children and that Mm -hmm. she sometimes talked about the climate crisis as a reason but actually she was like it's not really the reason the reason is that she'd had a very traumatic birth oh really And she didn't want to go through it again okay she's like that's the truth he was like I'm you know I'm I'm also just like I'm happy with my kid but like I just don't I can't I can't go through that again and I think like traumatic births are not really spoken about that much again I think because of the thing you're talking about of like women feel like they're supposed to feel really positive about it and just like oh it's the best decision I've ever made and I love my kid and it's like you know she was quite candid in being like if I'd known that that's what I was going to go through I wouldn't have had a baby like she's like I love my kid yeah and like you know like he's he is like the love of my life but like I if I'd known what it was going to be like I wouldn't have done it you know right it's like yeah Mm -hmm. that ambiguity it's quite interesting yeah I think we just need to sit in the ambiguity a bit more I think that's okay I don't think you need to like adore your child and you know really lift them up as though they are some sort of angel in fact I think that makes the experience of being a child really difficult you know I think we should just yeah sometimes people give birth to other people and it, yeah. it's not this transcendent experience that we're led to believe that it is, you know? Yeah, and I mean, maybe it's a good, like, this is a good sort of segue into, like, we can't really talk about, like... Because I guess what we are talking about is, like, the decision over being a mother and, like, whether that's given to you or taken away from you. And yeah. I was going to say, to talk about abortion, like, and obviously what's happened in America with Bro versus Wade being overturned is so, like shocking um not shocking in a way because I guess it's like we sort of saw it coming but it is shocking Mm. in a 21st century world um but yeah I wanted to talk a bit about um as a cultural example the baby which I mentioned as a recommendation before which is a tv show that's uh on now tv about it's very like surreal and quite dark (laughs) but it's about um this woman who is at that stage in her life where all of her friends are having kids and she like you mentioned earlier and it says it starts with a scene with two of her friends where one of them has a baby and she's very Mm. distracted by the baby like they're they're Mm -hmm. having conversations and she's just like playing with the baby and her friend's getting a bit annoyed you know because she's like (laughs) I want to be able to like talk to you and then at the end of the meeting, her other friend announces that she's pregnant. And it's like, that's the fight, the thing where she's just like, oh, she's kind of like you as well. Like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, like she feels like she's losing her friends and her friends kind of rightly so to some degree, get a bit pissed off with her for like her response mm-hmm. and not being positive. And she decides to like go, go away and have a bit of time to herself and like think about why she's being a bit of a dick to her friends about it yeah and when she's away she's in this beachside uh, like apartment this she sees a woman 
jump off a cliff Mm-hmm. And then immediately afterwards, this baby falls off. So she's, like, looking up at where this woman's just jumped off. And then this baby, like, lands in her arms, basically. <gasps> and she has to... Uh, she, You know, like, you see her go through these things where she's like, well, this isn't my baby, so I'll, like, give it to the police or whatever. Yeah. But very quickly, you realise that this baby, everyone around the baby, bad things are happening to people. Like, anyone mm. who interacts with the baby, they die, essentially. <laughs> That's and such a good concept. Yeah, like she tries to give it to the police and the policeman crash, their car crashes straight away. And it's like, even like the baby keeps like showing up, even when she tries to get rid of it, it shows up on a doorstep and she like Mm -hmm. can't not have this baby in her life. And also this baby's like the devil. (laughs) It's like really sinister. It's quite funny because it's like a really cute baby. (laughs) They've made it like a really, really (laughs) cute baby who's actually very, very evil. Mm -hmm. But it felt like it's a show that's about what happens when motherhood is forced upon Mm. someone Mm -hmm. and it's yeah it's very like I guess got that like Rosemary's baby thing of like evil devil baby um yeah but it's like the you yeah again I guess it's a bit of a spoiler but you start to find out that this there's been lots of other women that this baby has latched on to like okay. throughout history and the baby like yeah. never gets older it's just always a baby yeah um and it's like I felt like it's this kind of symbolic thing of like about women being forced into motherhood throughout mm-hmm. their lives yeah and not having that decision you know not being able to decide not to have a kid and not to be a mother and like how so true we're so lucky yeah. really right now especially to be in a country that is currently allowing us to make the choice that we're discussing. I mean, yeah. even to be sat here having this conversation is a privilege, isn't it, really? Like, that we're yeah. able to weigh up, would we want one or not? Yeah. And if we don't want one and we happen to, to fall pregnant, we could we could have an abortion. And that is a privilege, yeah. really. And it's, it's horrifying what's happening in America, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, like, just to have the decision, like, coming at it from both sides, to have, to be able to have a decision not to have a baby, but also to, to be able to have a decision to have a baby, like, again, like, recognising that, like, for some women, it's just, like, they try everything, you know, like, IVF, spend thousands and thousands of pounds and go through just, like, endless heartbreak, Mm. um, and have that decision taken away from them, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, we've both seen uh, a show on Netflix called The Duchess, haven't we? Which is about a woman who was fortunate enough and privileged enough to be able to choose to have Mm. her child um, by By herself. herself. Yeah. Yeah, without uh, the help of of a man, which is really cool. I mean, I thought it was a great show. She's so funny. Yeah. What's the name of the comedian that is in there? Catherine Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. And the child is so cute as well. And like, they Mm. just have this lovely, lovely life and it's all what they've chosen themselves. Mm. Um, And similarly, I read a book, uh, which again is not one that I often hear talked about. It's called An Excellent Choice by Emma Brocks. Mm. Um, And that's about a gay woman who, uh, but she's also single and she chooses to have a child. That's a good one to read if you enjoyed The Mm. Duchess. yeah, I feel like, like I guess what I'm thinking is, if if you had enough money, would you choose to do it that way by yourself, you know? Again, not right now, because, like, yeah. nothing is less appealing to me. <laughs> 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 um, but, 
Yeah, I mean, I do think... In theory. I don't know. It's, this is such a hard one, I guess, especially as having no actual life experience to base what being a mother is like upon. Yeah. Like, I definitely think, like, oh, I would like to be in a really good financial position if I was going to do mm-hmm. it, I think. Mainly just so you're not worried. But at the same time, like, I know people who... Like, my friend who's a single mum who's got two sons, she is not in a good financial position and she's brought those kids up, like, really well and fine. Do yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. Um, and I do, I do think it's, like, the main thing is that you just, like, really love them and you're, mm-hmm. then you're there for them. You know, like, those obviously material things do have an impact, but I feel like that's, yeah, like, a bit of a core thing. Like, actually... I won't get into this book, but, like, it's something that I think... Because um, I talked about it on um, the Chatting Lip podcast recently. It's, like, in my head that when we talked about Sally Rooney yeah. on there. And Connell's relationship with his mum uh, in that book. You know, like, they don't really have any money. and But she's such a good mum. Like, she's so there yeah. for him. They have such a close relationship. And as a result, he doesn't have the same problems in his life that Marianne has, you know, as a result of the Yeah, I actually think it's totally right that we do go into that because that's a big favourite, isn't it, with everybody? And and really, (laughs) like, most of Marianne's problems stem from the fact that her home life is very cold and that the people caretaking her, like her mother and her brother, are very cold and emotionally abusive and her brother's even physically abusive towards her. Mm. Um versus Connell's life at home is so lovely and his setup mm. with his mum is ideal, isn't it, really, that they're, she's so loving. And like you say, she has so little, but she has so much warmth and care mm. to give. Um, yeah. I think yeah, that's, that's the that's issue. Definitely... Yeah, sorry, go on. <laughs> I was going to say, with the to come back to the Duchess and, like, you know, she does have money, that character, but really the thing that makes her a good kind of mum is her relationship with her daughter and the closeness that the two of them have, right? And we also yeah. talked about the Gilmore, like, Gilmore girls and uh, Rory and Lorelai, like, they, that is about them having this really close bond and friendship. Um, yeah, I think in both of those cases, in The Duchess and in Gilmore Girls there's a really similar dynamic where it's a single mum and a very gifted and talented child. Mm, mm, And I think it's almost as though the child is so angelic and sweet and hardworking that allows the mother to have a life of her own. Like Mm. if your child is consistently following your instructions and living a life that is like quite that makes sense by society's standards and not questioning you and not being difficult, it might be a bit easier to have, you know, intellectual thoughts of your own and not be totally taken over by parenting. And so I think, for me at least, I watch Gilmore Girls religiously because it's this weird utopian version of motherhood it's like it's a kind of motherhood that I wouldn't mind but I I know really it's inaccessible and not true I I just can't believe in my heart that there are relationships like that that exist that are that perfect and Mm. I mean Rory really is like 
good as gold at all times, isn't she? And like, so yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting though, because like, I had this friend when I was a teenager who kind of had that relationship with her mum. Really, and she was very well behaved, like you say. I mean, she did have like yeah, like boyfriends and stuff, but it's almost like there was. I thought about it a lot because, you know, I her mum was so open mm. that you. I felt like we all kind of talked to her mum about things that maybe we didn't feel like we could talk to our own mums about, to be honest, like things really? that we were a bit, yeah, like things we'd done wrong or I don't know, mm-hmm. things that were, we would worried we'd get told off for or something. Mm. And I could, I could never tell like with them whether her daughter was so well behaved because her mum was like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like almost yeah. Because she had this like complete freedom where like she knew that her mum was never going to judge her um mm. whatever she did like or tell her off or anything that made her better behaved I don't know it's like it's like a chicken and egg situation it, do you know what I mean it's like do maybe she like you say she just came out like that and was like quite a good girl and didn't really do those things wrong or yeah. almost like was she a good girl because she didn't have to rebel against anything do you know what I mean maybe yeah maybe I guess part of it for me is like I kind of believe that whatever you did if you were a parent anything that you did would someday come up later in a trauma session with your child and their therapist (laughs) you know I kind of feel like you can't win I just don't know if you can win. I don't know yeah. if there's such a well, thing. There's as... that poem, isn't there? That's like they fuck you up. They don't mean to. Yeah, but they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think with all the best intentions in the world, um, I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect parent. And I guess yeah. Gilmore Girls really does present that thing that you're talking of. You know, it really tries to show that Lorelai actually is the perfect parent. That she has made no mistakes. And I just don't. Well, I, don't know. I don't know. I think that's. An, I think maybe is debatable. I think there are some things in it where she doesn't like. She kind of smothers Rory, and I think yeah, that does true. Come it's up very codependent. Yeah, yeah. In that Rory's like actually very private as a result of that. Like she doesn't mm. off. She doesn't tell Lorelai everything, and then when that happens, Lorelai's like, "Why haven't you told me? Like, why? Why wouldn't you tell me everything about your life?" And I think it's like for Rory, yeah. there's this thing of like. Well, I like because you're my mom. I don't want to. I don't want to tell you yeah. everything about my life. And it's like Lorelai like can't she? And similarly in the Duchess, it's like they they can't separate themselves in a way from their do- mm. from their daughters. They think they should have access to everything in their lives because they're like the fun mum, <laughs> the open yeah, mum. Like, yeah. And there's no boundary between them, right? You know. True, and I think like to push that for like forwards even further I think there's an idea with parenting that your child is somehow going to be like an extension of yourself and I think that's a really flawed idea you know I feel like people look at their partners when they're quite committed to their partners and they think how lovely would it be to have a little me or you running around I think that's so problematic I just think that's so untrue because whatever whatever you do that person has to be an individual in their own life, right? Yeah. You know, it's not it's not up to you to, like, mould them in your image and to have them kind of correct any mistakes that you might have made. You know, I feel mm. like a lot of parents look at their children and think, 
I would like them to be this kind of successful, you know, like to be a doctor yeah. or a lawyer or whatever. Yeah. And you just got to let people be who they are going to be separate to you, I think. And yeah, definitely Lorelai and Rory have a very codependent relationship. I think Lorelai kind of sees it as they're almost like best friends, which again is mm. really problematic, isn't it? You know, like mm. that, that mother daughter thing is not friendship. It's, it's totally different. Yeah, it's like unique kind of thing. Because again, there's like something to me that's, that seems so nice. And I can understand that if you're yeah, a mom, it does. that's what you would yeah. want, right? You would yeah, want it yeah. to be like that. But the reality is, is not that. Like I remember like with my own family, because <laughs> it's like oversharing, but my grandma was quite, my dad's mum was quite a difficult woman in some ways. Like, I was quite close to her when I was younger, but she was not easy. <laughs> and she was quite harsh to all of her, she had three sons, all of her sons' wives in that classic kind of mother-in-law way. Yeah. And would say this thing all the time where she'd say that she thought she was going to be best friends with, with her son's wife, like, with her daughters-in-law. Mm. And, like, my my dad would often be like, why? <laughs> That's not like that's not their role. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's not, exactly. You're not like entitled to that. Um, I think it's like there's so much in that, really, isn't there? I think we. It's not just mothering, but it's like the family unit in general is mm. so revered, isn't it? You know, to the point where you're supposed to prioritize those relationships and that bubble above everything else, and. um we read, we read uh, for book club recently The Mothers by Britt Bennett, um, mm. which is about two women who don't actually have mothers anymore. Their mothers have died. Um, and they themselves, like one of them has an abortion and the other one does eventually have a child. And so it's kind of about two women and their different journeys with all of that surrounding yeah. mothering. Um but I thought it was really interesting that it's all set in um, very traditional uh, Bible Belt America. And a lot of the voices in the novel are dissenting views from members of the community, like old wives of the community, kind of talking about um, how that young woman should never have had that abortion and... Mm. I feel like so many of our ideas around motherhood and the family unit are just this constant pressure and the fact that politicians are using it as a tool all the time, aren't they? Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to get at there. <laughs> but it was, interesting. It, it was really oppressive, that book, I felt. And it mm. really said a lot about... Um, why someone I guess might feel pressured to have children like I definitely think there are people out there who may have had children who actually might not have wanted them as well because it's 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 the expected route isn't it yeah yeah and it is politicized as an issue like um I don't I think we are lucky in the UK and that we just don't have the same like evangelical christianity that american america has like obviously we do have evangelical christianity but it doesn't have the same power i think in the uk that it does in america and like you see it being 
politicized so much there and abortion is like obviously like central to that community and that issue and their views um you know even to the point of like contraception and the right to use contraception and um Mm. yeah I don't know it's a bit (laughs) it's like scary like watching it from afar and you know I feel I don't know maybe maybe it's naive but I feel like we're we are fortunate somewhat in the UK and I I don't think it will happen here I hope it won't happen. I don't know. Here. I I disagree, but really, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think, think you might. I think maybe you're right because I think other people have said this to me, and maybe I'm just living in my little like liberal bubble. <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I mean? think I think like in my early twenties when I was surrounded by liberal people, I definitely felt yeah. more secure, especially when I was living in London, and I was in with a very like you know modern cosmopolitan type of crowd like you, you know, all my friends now are still thinking that way. But the reality is that I go to work every day and I am surrounded by people who don't think that way at all. And I think um, my feeling is that the Brexiteer crowd are growing stronger and that we are unfortunately going in that direction. And Because I think a core part of the Tory rhetoric is is this um, Mm. family first Mm. kind of language. And I get what you're saying. I think we asked a few steps behind where they're at, obviously, in the US is not the same. But I think the more that the the language keeps going in that direction, the more concerned I am. And And I feel even in conversations in the staff room and things, there's a lot of conversation about, family and how important family is and don't get me wrong you know I love my family and I think they are important um but it's interesting to me that that's the core uh the core topic of conversation every time I go into the staff room whereas with my friends and um people that I met in London and things it that wasn't the case you know Mm. that I've often had conversations I mostly have conversations with my friends about like art and culture and you know all sorts of things um whereas I think this principle of the family before all else Mm. I think I think is really really important to a lot of Britons today Mm. um which worries me (laughs) to be honest Mm. Mm. I think it's like yeah it's just so the obvious thing is that it's about having the it's about having the decision it's about being able to make the decision because I do think that like equally just to flip this on its head a bit like I mean I agree Mm. with everything you just said about where we're at politically but like um within feminist discussions and like you know even like you and I I think are in some way because we're not having children because we don't want to have children we're looking Mm. at the kind of complexities of motherhood but like sometimes I think like I have a friend for example who wants to have a kid and has always wanted to have kids like since we're in our early 20s and she's said to me a few times like we both operate in like very like yeah arty circles I guess like she works in the music industry and she's said to me how she feels that like she feels a bit like embarrassed to say that she just wants to be a mum. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's, oh, that's like, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like she's she doesn't actually care that much about having a career. Like, it's not. She's like the thing I want to do with my life is have a family mm. and like like have a husband and like have mm-hmm. babies. And I feel like 
uh, embarrassed to say that to a lot of the people that I know. And it's like, I, yeah, I thought that was interesting because I was like, I can understand yeah. why she feels like that with people that we know because it's like within feminism, the thing about, yeah, just having the choice, it's like that has to include that still. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's so true. That's you know? so true. Yeah. Like, obviously, like, that's because we're, because we're coming historically from that place of, like, women being mothers. There's been a lot of pushback against that idea and rightly so. But then it's yeah. like now where we're at with feminism is like we have to make sure we're not, like, completely ostracizing people that I know, do want to have so sorry, babies that's what's come across. <laughs> no I mean I don't think that's what we're doing in this episode but yeah. I just was like yeah it's that is really interesting isn't it it's like you know I think that exactly what you just said is is why we have put off this conversation for so long if I'm honest because I think you and I do have a fairly clear idea of where we sit in our personal opinions mm. on all of this but that's it's so personal, isn't it? And you're so right that even though we're coming at it from this one particular angle, mm. you know, I would love to hear more podcasts from women who are mothers and who are trying to work out how to still, you know, write and create mm. and do that. Mm. And I'm sure there are loads of women doing that too. You know, it's not just, just because I'm scared that I would lose the artistic or intellectual side mm. of myself to be a mother doesn't mean that that's what would happen. You know, it's just mm. my personal fear, but it's, it's such a difficult thing to talk yeah. about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, and, and that it's like, like you say, it doesn't mean that it will happen, but also that it's okay if it does. Like I remember yeah. like, um, I, and not to feel like ashamed or embarrassed about admitting that you're finding mm-hmm. being a mother difficult because I think again that feminist discourse can actually play into that thing of women feeling like they have to be really sure about the decision mm-hmm. and like empowered like for example the mothers that we're talking about in these cultural examples of like Lorelai and um Catherine Ryan's character in The Duchess they're very like empowered women aren't they like they're very much yeah. like I'm a mother and I'm like I'm like living my best life I've got it all like I'm, I'm doing it yeah. all and I've got the career and I've got the kids and I've got the love life and like mm. I'm in charge and that is great but I remember like actually because I as a lot of the writing I've done like play playwriting I've done has been very feminist in terms of being commissioned I've been commissioned to write about like sexism and like gender-based mm. violence and I did this one play which was about it was actually sort of a comedy, but it was about like sexist language and in like universities and people sort of using sexist language. And weirdly, we used to do these Q and A's at the end, like me and the actors in it with students and like people that worked at the university and really like random stuff would come up quite a lot, things that were like nothing to do with the play. But this yeah. one woman who was older, I remember getting into a bit of a debate with her because she had brought up this thing about like, she didn't want it was like I didn't really know why she took this but she didn't want women to like be engaging with things like the play that we'd done and like you know things that were looking at sexism and feel like they could they couldn't like have it all she had this thing that like she was like I've like had this career and I've had you know like I've also got children and like you know we live in a world now where you can like really have it all and you don't have to let these things kind of bring you down you know and um 
I was like, I was like, yeah, I mean, it was a bit like, I feel like there's like, not letting it bring you down. And then there's like, acknowledging that it's happening. <laughs> like, yeah. But I was also like, I was like, I really do sort of take issue with this idea of having it all. Me too. Whilst again, I understand where that comes from. Um, within like, needing to let women also have a job and be a mm. mother and they're giving them permission but it's like transformed into this thing where they have to be super successful at all yeah. elements of it at having a job at, ha- at being the mum and it's like it, that's a lot it's a lot of things to be so managing true. like you know so much of my personal thoughts about motherhood are to do with the fact that I I know that I wouldn't be able to have it all. I mean, I can barely have part of it now. Like, I'm so exhausted (laughs) just being a single person trying to hold down a job. Like, that's all I've got to do is just go to work and come home and try and do my hobbies. But I'm knackered. Like, I don't know how anyone has even a little bit more than that going on in their lives, you know? Like, I, I think... I don't know how other people feel, but I know that I personally could like my mental health could not withstand trying to have a job and a child and a household to run and Mm. all of those things you know I think that's part for me of of why I'm leaning towards not having children you know I know deep down that I need space to think and to de-stress and to to be honest to totally dissociate sometimes and just lie in my bed you know I feel like <laughs> just stare at the ceiling yeah like <laughs> just, I, I really just don't yeah like seriously yeah what are you gonna do if you're trying to do that and then the baby needs you you know like yeah. that's I I would be seriously concerned that I was um damaging my child psychologically because I don't know if I could constantly be there for them in the way that they would need Mm. or if if I was I know it would be to the detriment of my own health I don't know it's just so complicated isn't it but I completely agree is what I'm trying to say I really really don't think women should have to have all of the things it sounds so stressful to me (laughs) yeah exactly I read this article by Eva Wiseman recently you know she's like a columnist Mm. in the Guardian that was like responding to this oh I love her yeah come out yeah she's she's really good but she was there was a statistic, you know, this news story that came out that was about how most women in the UK are not, don't do exercise, like, you know. Oh, right. It, that being like a public health issue, I suppose. Okay. And she was kind of um, responding to it by being like, if you think about it, like, for a lot of women, if they're mothers, like, when mm. do they have the time to do exercise? <laughs> she was Absolutely. like, if you're like, going to you're either like holding the baby essentially or you're going Mm. to work you know Mm. like at what stage are you supposed to just like put the kid down and go out for a run (laughs) yeah exactly and I was like it's a really good point it's like where are you supposed to carve out that time for yourself necessarily and Mm. again maybe comes back to privilege like if you're someone who can afford childcare, then you can you can yeah you know give yourself some time basically um yeah, so, I mean, it's just, it's very complex. And it, again, it's not to say that there aren't women like that woman in the Q&A, I suppose, who mm-hmm. really felt that she could do all of the things. Um, but I was like, yeah, but I was like, I feel like, I, I was just also, I feel like your attitude of like, don't let the patriarchy bring you down. <laughs> you can have the job, <laughs> the baby, all of this stuff is like a bit dismissive of like how difficult 
it is. It's almost like we've just added mm. an additional pressure to being the, yeah. well, the pressure of being a mother. Now we've added the additional pressure of you've got to be a mum and also sustain your career, yeah. your relationship, and even your body with exercise or whatever. Like you know, yeah. And I think even the the way you've mentioned there about relationships, I think for me that's part of it as well. I feel like women within relationships are expected to take a mothering role, even with their Mm. partner as well. So yeah, just the general exhaustion. I'm feeling it through this conversation. It's like really If there are any mothers (laughs) listening to this, like you have my full respect. Oh my gosh. I honestly don't know how you're doing it. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. They are really superheroes. Props. Props to them. (laughs) Mad props. Because I was the same. I barely... My life is, like, ridiculously easy, really, as a freelance person as well. Like, when when you really go through this conversation, it's like... Yeah. We're so (laughs) lucky, really, aren't we? It makes me feel a bit better. Um, I just want to step in, before we wrap things up, a couple of other books that we haven't mentioned, just... Uh, Things We Do Not Tell the People We Love, which is by Huma Qureshi. And then also Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zorna, who is in Mm. Japanese Breakfast. Um, Just want to recommend those because they're both really, really good examples of books um, which are talking about a different aspect of motherhood, which we've not really explored, um, which is that in both cases, the characters or the people uh, in the books have got parents who are first generation immigrants and Mm. then the children have been more westernized and have Mm. lived in the country since birth uh in the uk and in the in america so they're different but there's definite similarities and i recommend those both a lot i really loved how in things we do not tell the people we love um the stories are all about Arabic women who are having like kind of friction with their mothers where their mothers want them to behave in certain ways and they want to operate in different ways and I guess that's something that we haven't really talked about you know for me I feel like these examples with the Duchess and Gilmore Girls and everything it's like this idyllic uh, relationship where everything's Mm. rosy and like Mm. everybody the mother and the daughter get so much joy from each other most of the time um and I think it's worth acknowledging that like the process of of mothering um especially as your child becomes an adult and becomes more independent Mm. is extremely draining you know my own mother will often say how difficult I was as a teenager and um (laughs) yeah I don't blame her I really was uh, a nightmare teenager and I I remember you know it was a really difficult time for me as well we just had screaming rows all of the time Mm. um and for me that's worth thinking about when you think about the idea of whether to become a mother or not like Mm. to me it feels like inviting chaos into my home Mm. and I'm so I've worked so hard to create like a peaceful space for myself. Mm. And again, I just really, I really admire women who can be as selfless as that, as to invite whatever might come with the unexpected, unknown. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just inviting the unknown into their home, I guess. It's brave. It's really brave. Yeah. And it does seem, I guess the only thing like that does appeal to me about is it does sort of seem like this kind of very unique, quite like magical experience, right? 
you know and yeah that, that comes back to the, like, bit at the beginning yeah yeah like of like actually like for me and I know this is like lots of people told you like hate the idea of being pregnant but I quite like the idea of being pregnant because to me I'm just like we just grow a human in your body <laughs> yeah and then I'm just like that is so bad <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, it's like, true. It's really mad. Yeah. It's a pretty special experience. Like, um, so I can definitely understand the the appeal in that respect of like yeah. what a c- kind of crazy thing to be able to do. And like yeah. I actually like um one of my best friends recently got married and it was so magical. I mean, they've been together for like ten years and they're so amazing together. And mm. around the same time, you know, she became pregnant and she came to my house and just like putting my hand on her tummy and feeling the baby kick was like absolutely wild. Like Mm. it's actually crazy. Like women are amazing that they can do that. And I think really having been around her my whole life, but especially now it's, it's really interesting the magical world that she's literally creating. I mean, she's so loving of her baby now that it's out <laughs> and when yeah. it was inside her and like she's so happy with that choice and I'm I'm conscious that through this conversation we might have been a bit negative about parenting and I really think well, that it's just I, yeah I was gonna say I, I agree with actually like I feel like I've changed my mind during this conversation <laughs> yeah <And> it, like <laughs> yeah I think there should be more ambiguity around it and it should be like any decision it's okay to feel one way about it and then to feel Mm. a different way about it actually you know like like I again I feel this pressure to feel like I should know and but then like it's like it will be okay if I feel differently in a few years about it like I'm allowed yeah (laughs) because literally like with my friend I don't think it was something that she'd ever put much thought into one way or the other she's not the sort of person to agonize about things in the way that I agonize about absolutely everything and um she just became pregnant one day that's how it seemed and then Mm. she just rang us and she was like I'm pregnant and I'm gonna have it and it just Mm. it was kind of all beautiful and accidental and yeah I don't know there was something really magical in not overanalyzing it and that's the way that she's approaching the whole thing it's just day by day how is this Mm. gonna go and how can I enjoy this crazy ride? Mm. And I think if I ever did decide to have children, I think that's definitely the way to go about it. You know, we couldn't be constantly analysing, are we giving our children cause to go to therapy? Otherwise, we'd go absolutely mad, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, really? Would, would end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like it's good to think about it intellectually up to a point. But there's some things that like can't even be explained like you're you're so right like it actually is quite awe inspiring the act of having a child and growing it in your belly and Definitely. I think that's why we we become at risk of talking about mothers as angels mm. be- because of course they're not but mm. there is something absolutely phenomenal about what they're doing isn't there mm. you know something really spiritual and yeah amazing exactly. really yeah well, maybe that's a good place for us to wrap it up. Lots okay. Of, like, I mean, there's lots of good recommendations in there and like the list is endless and we've by any means covered yeah. <laughs> everything. <laughs> but maybe we can do like a couple of recommendations. Um, yeah. What, yeah, what have you been enjoying recently? Um, I thought I'd do something a bit different today. Um, I know I've already brought up music in the episode and here I go again. 
um, because I've been listening a lot to Oliver Sims' new album. He's, mm, if you don't know, I love uh, him. Yes, yes. So good. I'm also on yes. this. So good. Amazing. So, so good. Um, he's a member of um, the XX and I listened to an interview with him on Radio 6. Um, it just came on like 5am in the morning, which is the unreasonable time that I wake up every day. Suddenly something great was happening on the radio and he was being interviewed and he was talking about his new album, which I have to check again. <laughs> which is called Hideous Bastard. And mm. um, it's so personal. I just feel like if you love books in the way that we love books, this album feels like a memoir and like it's all mm. about his experiences as a gay man and as a gay man who has HIV. Um, and the songs are just such an amazing like journey um, of the highs and the lows of his life, which is just mm. exactly like um, some of the memoirs that I've been recommending with like Crying in H Mart and stuff like that. And, and I guess um, while I've been listening to it, um, I've also been reading Love in the Big City, uh, which mm. is our book club pick this month. And that's also about a gay man who has experiences with HIV. So yeah, both of those things together, I would say really gave me just like, a window into a different kind of life and that's the magic of of reading and art in general isn't it and um mm. I just thought in both cases how amazing is it that we're now living in a time where we can appreciate art from people who who are suffering with HIV but like it's something that's so has been brushed under the carpet um for so long and that has such negative connotations but it's so there's so many beautiful moments in both that album and that book of the joy of life like if you have an illness there's still so much joy that can be found in life you know like doesn't have to be all um negative so yeah I just got so much from both I guess Mm, great they're really good recommendations I also I mean I I Love that Oliver Zim's album. Yay! We haven't spoken about that. That's so cool. (laughs) Um, I've yeah, my recommendations are gonna be well. I guess one is a book, but I've been listening to it as an audio book, Mm -hmm. um, which I've I know I've already spoken to you about. But it's um, the the creator of Beam Me Up Soft Boy, the Instagram account. Oh yeah, amazing! It's a recommendation in itself. If you haven't listened to it. (laughs) which basically features people, like people send her screenshots from dating app conversations they're having with um, soft boys. I guess like maybe the <laughs> easiest way to describe a soft boy is like someone who kind of thinks that they are very alternative and guess like woke, um, but like is is not in some ways. I mean, in the book, this, this book is called um, Is It Love or Is It Dopamine? And it's a kind of deep dive into like dating apps, I suppose. Um, She does talk about how there are like good soft boys out there, you know, who are like think they're alternative and these things that kind of mean well, but a lot of them are not good as as Beam Me Up Soft Boy shows is the kind of, yeah, I guess like kind of faux feminist sometimes, you know, like they, they, or they use feminism as a way to kind of talk to girls and then kind of show their true colours yeah um but yeah this book basically 
looks at like um even like emojis the use of emojis like different kind of slang that's used Ooh. in messaging um and then dating apps and it's really like yeah look, looking at kind of where we're at I suppose with with dating apps and like digital online dating and how that's impacting women but it's very funny like as is the Instagram yeah. account like super funny it's good as an audiobook like she she narrates it really well it sounds uh, amazing <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm really enjoying that and I mean these recommendations are because I'm I'm writing as you know I'm trying I'm writing something that's about like dating apps so I've been doing quite a lot of research um the other one is a podcast I listen to called can I tell you a secret which is a guardian podcast about a man called Matthew Hardy who is what is like in the UK he was basically put into jail for like cyber stalking and like Mm -hmm. catfishing for like I think it's like the longest sentence they've ever given to someone um in that he was put into jail for nine years I think for it Mm -hmm. and he basically is a man who pretended to be women and kind of destroyed their lives like by pretending to be them online so um he would do things like message their partners um Mm. saying that they'd you know cheated or like really terrible things in some cases of like suggesting to family members that these women had had like incestuous relationships with Mm -hmm. like people in the fact like really awful stuff and um it's really interesting because he doesn't even really try and hide that he's doing it like right. you know like these women start to like build a case against him because there lots of them the same things happening mm. and but at the same time they really look at uh him and like why he would do something like this not mm-hmm. to excuse it but like to kind of get into the psychology of like his motives and um yeah I found it like really gripping and very Amazing. interesting and again I mean, I guess it's a, it's not like a light one. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, actually, yeah. it's a heavy one. So I would prepare Can myself I do for that. one more just so we yeah. do end on light one? That sounds really good. I'm definitely going to check that yeah. out for sure. Um, yeah, I was almost not going to do this, but I just think for me personally, the weather's getting really dark. As you know, if you listen to this regularly, I hate <laughs> this change of the seasons. Even do you though hate Natalie autumn? Do you it. hate autumn? <laughs> You've never mentioned it. <laughs> so depressing I'm going to work in the dark I'm coming home in the dark everything's cold I can't sleep because I'm cold (laughs) I've mentioned this to Natalie every single time that I've seen her it's very boring for her at this point however a good thing to do in autumn to lift your very sad spirits if you're feeling like me and not like Natalie who absolutely loves being warm and cozy and the crispy leaves and whatever um is to binge watch really comforting shows so I've been watching this show on Apple TV called Little Voice and it's like super super cheesy I mean I feel embarrassed to even recommend it because it's so cheesy but it's it really made me feel warm inside it's like about a girl in New York who is a songwriter and she's working like five different kinds of jobs to try and make that happen um so you know I really related to the sense of like being dirt broke and trying to like mm. um make ends meet and and to really care a lot about your art and I found it mm. quite inspiring in that way 
and um the music is just really sweet and lovely and warm and it just warmed me up you know if you're feeling miserable nice. like me it's a good yeah. it's a good watch yeah <laughs> cool it's a good recommendation okay well thanks for listening again um yeah if there are things that you would like us to talk about on the podcast please do let us know you can get in touch with us via probably via instagram is the best one right which is at feminist.fiction absolutely Um, yeah and make sure that you're following us there as well and also if you want to join our book clubs yeah i think as megan mentioned earlier i'm like trying to remember all of them manchester liverpool (laughs) belfast london uh hal and And the new one is leipzig yeah 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 Leipzig, sorry, I pronounced. I don't know. <laughs> we should look it up. Oh, we God, should know terrible. that. I'm sorry, Vivian, if you're listening. Um, yeah, you are welcome to join. We get new members all the time. We'd love to have you. Um, and actually, even if we do online meet, so if you're not in any of those places, you can still yeah. be part of the club. Right. So thanks everybody for listening. Um, I think it was a long time coming. This conversation. Um, yeah. It is just one of those things where, like, if if you're late 20s early 30s like me and Natalie I think it is more on the brain perhaps than when we were younger or perhaps it will be when we're older like it just whether or not we decide to have them I think it's just a big it's like a real pressure cooker of anxiety at this age isn't it um so I hope we've like tried to do, do justice to the topic while at the same mm. time I just want everyone to to understand that like we're not impartial in this discussion and we are kind of biased and we are kind of freaking out about it all but I hope that within it yeah. somewhere you found some like common threads and that we haven't yeah, slipped and up I, I don't I'm know like, I would love to hear like what people how people are feeling about it like if people want same. to touch and talk about that because it's so interesting to me and I think it is something that's like has if you if you have a womb that you're thinking about <laughs> right like at some point so yeah yeah okay. but yeah thank you so much for listening we love you and we'll be back soon with another episode okay love you bye bye